You're listening to the Forefront Church Podcast in New York City, where our vision is to see lives, neighborhoods, and our city renewed through Jesus. Uh, How many of you guys were in school in the 80s, in elementary school in the 80s? A few of you? Man, first service, it was like everybody. You guys are young. That's why it's 1130. That's why you're at 1130 service. Um, I was in school in the 80s, uh, and uh, we had to write these thank you cards, or not thank you cards, these get well cards. And they were get well cards for um, uh, this boy in our our school who had cancer. And this is the 80s. And cancer's terrible. It's a terrible thing. It's awful. Um, uh, But in the 80s, it, um, it was even worse, if you guys remember. It was always terminal, right? If you had it, it was always terminal. So... We were writing these get well cards to this boy and, and one, of the kids in my, uh, one of the kids in my class who was this really nice kid, like really sensitive kid, he wrote, um, this is rubbing against my cheek, he wrote, um, uh, dear so-and-so, I want you to get better but I'm sorry because you're probably going to die. That's what he wrote. And, um, and he wasn't trying to be mean or malicious or anything like that. You know, he just, he was you know, trying to feel what was going on. And, and so he brought the note up to the teacher to give to the teacher. She was collecting the notes and the teacher goes, uh, the teacher started yelling at him. She goes, you, you can't write this. You can't write this. You Throw this out and start again. Throw it out and start again. And you could tell he was a little confused, right? Because what he was trying to do, all he was trying to do was uh, just, just kind of pay attention to the fact that this boy was in, you know, a really bad place. And, and this was a, a hurting thing for him. And, and um, it made me realize, and, and, and I look back and realize, like, you know what we do? We're really, really good at shutting out or shutting down um, the stuff that is really painful or really deep or, or the hurt and the death and the mourning and the anger and frustration and abuse and all that. We're really, really good at saying, don't do that. Don't write that. Let's not pay attention to that because that is the stuff that makes us broken. That's not the stuff that actually keeps us whole. That's not the stuff uh, that gets us ahead or it gets us going in this world, right? So what we do is we say, do it over. Don't do it. Don't talk about it or think about it. And I was in the car with my daughter, who's seven, and we, uh, I was listening to news radio. That makes me sound so old. I was listening to news radio. And I'm listening, and unfortunately, you know, a, a, a boyfriend uh, you know, kills his girlfriend. It's very sad. Um, but I'm an adult who has put this stuff uh, away or packed it deep down in here or done whatever with it. So for me, it feels like myth almost. It feels like fiction. Uh, but for my daughter, my daughter was like, Dad, did that really happen? And I go, yeah, it really happened. And somebody was bad and they, they killed this woman. And she goes, did that woman have to die? And I go, no, she didn't. Am I going to die? Does dying hurt? You know, what, what's, what, what is it like? And, and, and my inclination, my first reaction was just to go, shh, we'll talk about it later. That's, that's, that's like what I wanted to do. Just stop. Like, just leave it alone, you know? And, um, because we're taught, we're taught instinctively, like instinctively we're taught that that's not the stuff you deal with. You don't deal with the stuff that sits down here. So you don't deal with the death stuff. You don't deal with the mourning stuff. You don't deal with the anger, the frustration. You don't deal with your brokenness, right? I think there's things in our lives that we have going on that happen in our heads that we would never tell anybody else. We would never tell anybody else because they wouldn't talk to us again, right? It's that deep and it's right here and we don't want to bring that up. And this is a symptom, right? So when we think about... Um, you know, like therapy, we're still kind of afraid to tell people we go to therapy, right? We're still a little bit of afraid because what do people think? People are thinking, oh my goodness, they're working on that stuff. They're broken. Stay away from them. I am going to confess that I go to therapy. And you know what I do when I go to therapy? I sit there and I tell my therapist that I shouldn't feel the way I feel. 
I shouldn't feel this way. I shouldn't feel sad. I shouldn't feel angry. And my therapist always goes, why shouldn't you feel this way? And I go, I'm not supposed to feel this way. Right? I'm not supposed to deal with that stuff. I should be whole. I should be all right. We don't want to deal with the broken parts of ourselves. But that, ooh, that's our true self. That's who we really are. That stuff that's deep down there. And instead, we do what this great priest named Father Sirico says we do. He says we whistle past the graveyard. We see the graveyard, and instead of acknowledging what it really is, we are, you know, look the other way. Find Father Sirico, by the way. Great messages. Um, that's what we do. I've talked to some of you in this room about cemeteries, uh, about Greenwood Cemetery, in fact. And uh, I've said, people have said to me, have you been there? And I go, yeah. And I go, it's beautiful. It's so nice. You could have a picnic there if you wanted to. Right? That's what I say about it. Like, because I, you know, we're not getting to the fact that there's actually real loss that takes place and real mourning and real pain and, and all this. And, and this is a symptom of who we are. And, and yet, this is this deep down, this, this thing. That, you know, we call it sin. We call it shortcoming. We call it immaturity. We call it brokenness, whatever it might be. That's who we are. It's there. Okay? And we're in Epiphany. And Epiphany is all about good news. It's good news because Jesus is here. And I love Epiphany, because Epiphany is, Jesus is here. Do we want to know what God thinks? Here's what God thinks. Here's Jesus. This is what God thinks about you, right? And so we have uh, this Sermon on the Mount that we're doing during Epiphany season. And I love this Sermon on the Mount. And like I told you last week, if you were here last week, I said, this is like a drop-the-mic announcement, okay? This is the counterintuitive kingdom, okay? This is what God thinks is, is way different than anybody would have ever thought about that time. And truthfully, it's way different than we think most of the time. That's true. It's this counterintuitive thing. So... I decided that for Epiphany, we need to go through the beginning of this, the Beatitudes, this prayer that, um, this prayer that, that, that Jesus is basically giving to his disciples. And we're going to go through it line by line. Honestly, there's so much good stuff here. There's so much good stuff. Like, just keep coming back for Epiphany because my mind is being blown. Anyway, uh, and so today we're just going to focus on two verses, okay? The two verses we're going to focus on are, are Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. If you want to open up your, your Bibles or your... Um, your apps or whatever you have, uh, feel free to open those up. And it's, it's really simple. Uh, it's two verses. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Last week we talked about this word blessing, this Greek word blessing, and we talked about how that Greek word means God is on your side. God is on your side when you are poor in spirit. Last week we talked about, um, that's the translation, God is on your side when you are in mourning. Now, there's another translation that is, actually, it's up for debate, so I'm not going to hit on it very much today, because it's, it's still debated by scholars. But the other translation uh, is, says that blessing actually translates into, you are ready to be used when. So you are ready to be used when you are poor in spirit. You are ready to be used when you are mourning. Either way, it's incredibly interesting. It's incredibly, incredibly good news, okay? Is it good news? Is it good news? You know what it is? For the people that were listening, people that were listening probably, in all likelihood, started crying and cheering. In fact, some people wanted to kill him when they heard this news. For us, we're like, just come on, Williams, it's raining outside. I'm going to move on here. You guys all right? Everybody with me? <laughs> all right, good, good, good. Here's why. 
We've talked a ton about uh, the people listening to this message, right? We talked a lot about the fact that they are people that uh, had lost the temple. We talked a lot about the fact they're people who had lost family and friends. When you think more about these people, when you find, what you find out is when you, when you uh, deal more with um, th- this, this group of people listening to Jesus, I also found out that they were part of the ninth class, most of them. And so there was nine classes in Jerusalem. They were the lowest class. As the lowest class, they literally were just trying to survive, Okay, they, they were taxed probably at around 70 to 80%. Uh, more than 90% of them could not read or write. Uh, they, they were uh, being arrested. They were being persecuted because the Roman Empire was cracking down on anybody who was Jewish by culture. And not only that, but if they were there listening to Jesus and they were following Jesus, all right, uh, that meant that they were bringing shame upon their families. So whatever family was left, Okay, they were a stain on their family because at that point, Jesus was still considered crazy and wacky and everything else. And, uh, and, you know, if you were listening or following him, then your family wanted nothing to do with you. So all that's going on. So you are the lowest of low. You are not poor like we are all poor in here in New York City, right? You were not poor like that. You were poor. You were barely surviving. You were waking up each day going, how am I going to do today? How am I going to live through today? How am I not going to be arrested today? How am I, how am I going to eat today? Do I have enough money to feed my child today? You are doing that. And so Jesus comes along and Jesus goes, blessed are you when that's who you are. Blessed are you. You are ready to be used when you are asking those questions. You are ready to be used when you are mourning the fact that you cannot provide for your child. Blessed are you. And you know why we, we can't get that? You know why? Because the truth is we're not the oppressed. We live in America. We're not. We're the privileged. Aside from maybe a couple people in our whole church community, our entire church community, aside from maybe a couple people, we all know how to read and write. We all have jobs. We all have a place to live. We all have food on our tables. To hear this blessing, we go, "Eh, all right, all right. So how do, we, how do we begin to hear this more? Well, we begin to hear it when we start to realize, number one, that we are looking at this on the side of the privileged. And when we look at it on the side of the privileged, uh, then what we start to see in ourselves is we have the privilege to ask certain questions, okay? Um, and I get these questions from Richard Rohr, who's by far my favorite author in the world. Uh, if you want to read Richard Rohr right now while I'm talking, I wouldn't even mind. That's how much I like him. Um, I like Jesus slightly better. No, I, I like Jesus a lot better. But anyway... Um, he, he says, you know, when you are privileged, you have the luxury of asking what he calls first half of life questions. You have that privilege. You have that luxury. Uh, and there's four first half of life questions he talks about. When you're privileged, you get to say, who am I? You get to sit around and think about that. Who am I? You get to sit around and go, what am I good at? Or how do I identify? Uh, what, what do I have to give to this world? How will I support myself in, in, in using this gift or this talent uh, that, that I identify with? And then finally, who's going to go on this with me? Who's gonna journey with me? You see, when you're not waking up wondering how you're gonna feed your kids, or when you're not waking up wondering if you're gonna, you know, this is the day that you get arrested and killed, you have the luxury to ask these questions. And let's be honest, these are not bad questions. They're not. Honesty, how many people moved to this place because you wanted to kind of try out a new identity, or try something new, or do something different? How many people, come on. It's, yeah, New York City, yeah, not just, this roulette. You didn't move to roulette. Yeah. <laughs> How many people? Just yeah, I think more than a couple, right? Yeah. First service, there's like one. I was like, that's a lie. 
It's true because, you know, we, we, yeah, we do have the opportunity to go, who am I? You know, maybe if I go to another place or try another city, I can, I can figure out who I am. What am I good at? Or wh- where's my identity lie? We have the luxury of asking that question. It's not like I need to find a scrap of food so I don't die today. Go, oh, what am I, what's my talent? What am I good at? And uh, let me ask you, um, how many people moved here to this city, not roulette, to this city because... There's something that you want to give to the world. There's a talent, a passion, something. How many people? Yeah, right? That's okay. That's a good thing. I don't think there's anything wrong with this. I talk to this community more often than not about, hey, how do we support one another? Or how can we support you financially in this place? Or how can you support yourself financially here? And then I have other questions that go, my talent, my passion, that thing, it's not paying the bills, I'm going to have to leave. We talk all the time about how we support ourselves and our passions or support others. And then this church, you know, 70% 70% of us here are, are not married. And because 70% of us here are not married, we, most of us, the majority of us are asking the question all the time, who am I taking this journey with? Who am I gonna go with? Who's gonna be by my side? Who are my friends? Who's my partner? Who is that? It is an absolute luxury to ask those questions. We get to do it. And they're called first half of life questions. They're called first half of life questions because they're important to answer but they're also called first half of life questions because they don't get us anywhere with any meaning, okay? What we end up doing with first half of life stuff is we fill it up. We fill ourselves up, so we keep that stuff down here, buried down here, and then we fill ourselves up with other things, okay? We fill ourselves up with, we're, we're kings and queens of self-help, let's just be honest. Like, I'm gonna improve myself. We asked this before. How are you gonna improve yourself this year? I'm gonna improve myself. I'm gonna find a way to monetize my passion. You know what I said? I'm gonna have more balance in my life. What a luxurious thing to say. I'm I'm not gonna eat as much, I'm gonna have more balance. (laughs) And that's what we fill ourselves up with. We fill ourselves up with that stuff. And and, and there, you know, I'm only saying this because you know I did this over break. Over break, I was like, you know, I'm gonna improve myself, I'm gonna get better. I'm gonna fill myself up with some things that I think will make me whole, some things that will bless me. And no joke, I ended up you know, bookmarking these three pages that I thought were the most important for helping me. One was five exercises that will help you lose weight really fast. I haven't done it yet. Uh, The next one was 10 ways to increase your productivity. I picked a couple of those. I think I'm doing them. And then the other one was seven ways to create passion and ownership, which uh, I realize I have a lot of those already, so I'm pretty good. But... uh, but you know, what I did was I was like, you know, this, this self-improvement thing, because really, at the end of the day, I'm not going to deal with the stuff down here, the real stuff, the serious stuff, my broken areas. I'm just going to fill myself up with, with those, you know, by answering those four questions. I'm going to live that way. And that way, I never really have to address what's going on anywhere else. We do this. We're great at this. I, I, as I was like thinking, I was like, you know, I'm going to Google all the other ways we self-help ourselves. So I just wrote 10 ways to. I just put that into Google. You want to, these are like the first ones that came up. 10 ways to have more money as a student without working. Nice, nice. 10 ways to trick yourself into getting rid of clutter. We don't really have clutter here because this is New York. Uh, 10 ways to annoy people. I'm probably doing it to some of you right now. 10 ways to improve your attractiveness. 10 ways to headbang to heavy metal music. And this, this blog stressed that this was only for beginners. If you're a professional headbanger, do not look at that blog, okay? This is for people who want to get into headbanging. And then finally, 10 ways to please Slovenian philosophers Lavov, Zizek, and Bed. That was real. That was real. That was on there. 
Google it. <laughs> Some of you are going, hmm. No. My point is this. My point is that we're so good, we're so good at filling ourselves up with this stuff, right? Because when you fill yourself up with that, you don't have to deal with the brokenness at the bottom. And so the way I think of ourselves is, is we're like this container, right? We're this container, and we're putting these 10 ways, and we're getting new jobs and getting raises and like doing all the things that, that we think we're supposed to do that are gonna fill us up, that are gonna make us blessed, all right? That are gonna make us whole, and really, the stuff that's going to do that is all the way down here. And so the only way to actually get to what really matters, who we really are, is to clear all that out. It's to become bankrupt. It's to become vacant. It's to be sad. To mourn. To say there are some parts of me that are absolutely poor in spirit. And then, and then that's the point where Jesus goes, you there? Are you at, are you at the bottom? Oh, good. Now I can use you. You're at the bottom? Oh, good, now I'm on your side. Good, good, now you get it. Um, how many people have been caving? Spelunking, they call it. That's the professional term. One person. It's fun, it's fun, right? Um, you go like a couple hundred feet underground and it's like a whole nother world under there. And you, uh, you go around. Uh, there was one time I went with my cousin and my cousin uh, stood there for too long. Uh, we were like deep underground, he stood there for too long. And his shoes got stuck in the mud and he couldn't move, and so when we pulled him up, his shoes were just in the mud. Like, we couldn't get him out. So he just had to walk around with bare feet the rest of the time in the cave. Um, there was another time I walked around, I, I walked and like turned a corner, and when I turned the corner, there was like 50 bats, and the bats started flying at me, and they, uh, they, I got hit in the face by bats. And, and uh, I was like, oh, you know, like, he did one of those, because it was really scary. Um, but they're harmless. And... Uh, <laughs> There was another time that uh, I was sliding down this, it was like a, just sliding down this thing, and you know, you're exploring all these interesting parts, and I got to the bottom, I dropped my flashlight, and my flashlight went into um, this pool of water, and the pool of water was like illuminated, like it glowed, and when it glowed, it was this lake, like a giant lake, like a legitimate lake underwater, like for real. Um, and it was amazing, it was beautiful. And so all my friends are there, and they all have their flashlights, and so they look up, and um, you can see like there's maybe like 20 spots in the ceiling there where there's just these little drips, right? These little drips of water are happening. Um, and, and I feel like this is a little nerdy, but this is really what we did. We sat around and we were just like, isn't it amazing that for hundreds, even thousands of years, these little drips of water created this amazing lake? Like, and we got like all like, I don't know, sort of nice. It was like a nice moment. And then like, no joke, then we were like, isn't it also pretty amazing how, how water just has to follow gravity? Like water just has to go down to the lowest point, and like this is the lowest point right now, and like, and everybody was sitting there. It was like this touching moment for us. It, I was, and the thing is, I was like 19. It wasn't even like I was older. And then like I don't, I, I don't know. But we did. We were sitting there, and and uh, when I, I reflect on that, right, and I reflect on it because of this really interesting thing for me is is when I start to just take away the fact that that I, I'm trying to make myself whole by answering these four questions all the time and trying to make myself whole by self-improvement or by finding balance and doing that, when I finally get to clear all that up, I feel like then finally, these, God is just like these little drops. These little drops are seeping in, seeping around the ways I improve myself. And they're seeping in and they're, they're finding new life down in my brokenness. Finding new life in the areas where I just feel malaise and pain. They're finding new life in the areas where like my big giant sin issues that I don't want to tell anybody about, they find new life there and I feel like God is like this water just seeping down seeping down, like building beauty out of my brokenness, building beauty.
But that's not gonna happen unless we actually believe that we are blessed. We can be used. God is on our side when we're poor in spirit, when we are mourning. So what do we have to do? We gotta act more oppressed, everybody. Everybody create a persecution plot complex right now. No, no. You know what I, you know what I think we need to do? Uh, uh, confession is huge. Confession is huge. And I, I, think, I think we can start with a simple confession. And the simple confession is this. I'm powerless. I'm powerless over my brokenness. I'm powerless over the broken stuff. Just start there. Uh, that one thing that I do, and I do it all the time, and I used to do it just for fun, but now it's got a hold on me, and it's ruining my life. I'm powerless over that. You know, Alcoholics Anonymous, the first, you know what the first thing is? I'm powerless over my addiction. Maybe in our addiction, right? Maybe we have an addiction, and it's there, and we, Maybe we just start by saying, I'm powerless over this. I'm broken. It's, it's there. It's real. Maybe there's abuse that happened in your life. There's abuse and you're going, you know what? I'm powerless over that abuse. I can't keep stuffing it down. I can't, I can't keep putting stuff on top of it. Maybe we're like, I can't hear God. And the reason we can't hear God is because we continue to make stupid and immature decisions over and over and over again. And we've come to a place where we're like, you know what? I'm making a lot of stupid, immature decisions over and over again. Maybe I'm powerless over them. Maybe it's time for me to stop. What is that thing? You guys know what it is. I don't know what it is. What is it? What's that thing that's deep down within you? What are you powerless over? Think about it. Name it. And hear the good news that Jesus says, hey, that's where you're blessed. That's where you're blessed. That's where I use you. That's where I'm on your side. There's been loss in your family, like terrible loss, difficult loss, painful loss, Jesus says, that's where I am. That's where I, I'm on your side. I'm in, I'm in that. Where is it? And so what happens is when we start to name it, when we start to confess it, uh, God does what uh, is called hesed, this Jewish term hesed, which hesed says, God is God and can do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine, but God binds God's self to one thing and one thing only, and that is us. And that is a love for us in deepest, darkest, most broken moments. And when we are able to acknowledge that that's what makes us whole, not the other stuff, when that makes us whole, then we don't say, hey, who am I? Instead, we say, you know what I am? I am loved beyond all I could even think about. I'm loved by Jesus. This is incredible. And not only that, but there's a community of people who actually love me and care about what goes on in my life. It's amazing. And instead of saying, hey, how can I create meaning or how can I use my gifts to help me, to better me? We start saying, oh my gosh, I've been giving gifts that allow me to give meaning to others. I can bring meaning to other people. That's what starts to happen. Instead of saying, how can I support myself? I'm not being supported. And we look around and we go, you know what? Oh my goodness, I have been supported. I just didn't realize that. It's that text that somebody said, hey, I hope you're okay today. I'm just praying for you. It's, it's, you know, it's the, the quick pat on the back. It's the hug. It's the, hey, here's a couple hundred bucks. I know you have that thing that you're working on. It's all of that. You are being supported. And you know what? We do journey together. It's a journey that says the journey looks a little different and it's us and it's this church and it's our community and it's our friends and it's the ones who can turn to one another and say, you know what, you're going to be whole when you acknowledge that this has become an issue in your life. It's that accountability. You're gonna be whole when you just say, like, I'm dealing with this and this is painful and it hurts and I'm here to help you. That's when you're gonna be whole. That's when you're blessed. It's time we confess we're powerless. We're powerless over this. That's when the blessing happens. That's what makes us so counterintuitive. Uh... I'm a pastor in New York, which means I get asked a lot of weird questions. And one I get asked all the time, more so than ever, is how do you know you're right? How do you know you're right? 
Um, how do you know Christianity is right? How do you know that Jesus is right? And I say every time, I don't know. I don't know if I'm right. It wouldn't be called faith if I knew, right? I don't know. I can tell you why this brings me hope. I can tell you why I believe in this. I can tell you why we have this church. I believe this. I have hope in this. This matters to me. This is good news because this is the only religion where you say, you know what? I'm empty, I'm vacant, and I'm in this desert experience now, and there's a Jesus who goes, I've been there. I've been in a desert experience too, and I can walk with you in that. I believe in this because we're the only religion. We're the only religion that says, you know what? I'm in pain, and I feel abandoned, and, and this abandonment is too much to bear, and I'm mourning, and there's a Jesus who goes, yeah, I felt that pain and abandonment. I was on the cross, and I said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's real, and I can walk with you through that pain and that abandonment. You're loved in it. You're blessed in it. And this is the only religion that says, you know what? I am broken beyond belief. I am not redeemable. I'm never getting better. And there is a Jesus. We're the only religion who has this Jesus that says, you know what? That not redemption, that, that never getting better, that's not the final answer. Death is not the final answer. I'm on the cross and I'm broken and hurt and it feels like it's never getting better and I die and it's not the final answer. Your brokenness is your beginning. It's the place that you start. It's the place where you become whole. It's the place that you start to say, I can be real and human. It's the place where you and me are ready to be used by God. It's the place where you and me find ourselves on the same side as, as, God, side as God. It's the place where you and me and us, we are blessed. Amen?